Hello, I'm Roger Bisbee and welcome to Skill Builder. We've got another good interview coming up and this time it's on damp and we've got Mostyn Nalon with them from, he's, where are you from, Mostyn? You're from Hull, aren't you? Just on the yeah. outskirts of Hull. So you do all kinds of damp, not just rising damp. Condensation's a big part of your act, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, condensation now is is getting up to be 90% of our, of our business now, now that we do. We get loads and loads of people coming on. Whenever we put anything out on damp, we get people coming on saying, there's no such thing as rising damp. This is all a massive con. All you've got to do is hack off everything, plaster, get rid of everything, open the windows, open the doors, and the whole thing will evaporate and you'll be all your troubles will be over. So you know that problem. You know that this, this kind of misinformation is plaguing the industry at the moment, isn't it? So what do you think about that? Rising damp is, is certainly not as, as prevalent as as maybe condensation damp, certainly, uh, and other types of dampness. I'm probably not going to be one of those that would say, you know, uh, the rising damp, you know, tends to be a bit of a unicorn or anything like that. Um, I think I think cases of it are quite rare um, that you come across it. I think uh, often it's misdiagnosed. It can present itself in, in a similar way to uh, other types of dampness, and I think that's the, that's the problem with it. So would you say, I mean, the industry got itself a bit of a bad name, but, I mean, that's not unusual. The double glazing industry, plumbing industry, all these kind of industries got themselves a bad name at one point or another, but it seems to hang around this idea that you've got all these damp-proofing companies going into houses. soon as they see a bit of damp, they say, you've got to hack off all your plaster, you've got to have an injection all the way around, and then uh, that will solve the problem. And, of course, people have that done and then they find out that it's it's condensation or whatever. Do you think that is still as prevalent as it was or not? It seems to be, um, I think, even even more of an issue now. Purely from my point of view, I'm seeing that a lot now where, you know, I'll get a call from a customer. I, I've got uh, to see uh, many, many customers uh, this week and I know that I'm going to go into some of those houses and I'm going to hear a very familiar story, and it'll be you know one of a handful of stories. It'll be uh, oh, we've had uh, we might be a new we've just moved in. We had a home buyers report. Our um, surveyor that you know that we employed paid lots of money to. He's got letters after his name. He said that it, you know we've got right and we've got to do this, this, and this. And I said, well, okay, well, uh, I'll reserve judgment. I'll come and have a look for you. You find that it's actually. Um, comp- something completely different. It might be uh, that they've got uh, very, very uh, shoddy uh, rainwater goods and it's uh, leaching through into a bedroom, say, uh, on an outside yeah. wall. It might be a problem with uh, with condensation. It might be that there's, you know, that the house is so airtight. And again, you touched on that on one of your previous uh, videos there, Roger, about uh, condensation in the lofts. I think I always say to people, it's more of a lifestyle problem than a house problem. I say your house is okay, but you know, you need to get out of it. Um, <laughs> That's great. We, we, yeah, I see that a lot. Uh, that's it. I mean, I see a lot of what you, you know, you was looking at uh, the other day, you know, with water in the loft and what have you, yeah. all, all of the uh, the underfelt there. And I see black spot mould all over the place and they complain to me about clothes rotting away in wardrobes and shoes and leather goods and all this sort of stuff mm. with mould on. The surveyors with letters after names, they miss these these points and to me it seems so stark ravenly obvious i don't understand it and, and obviously then once i explain it to them um you know in a, in, a, in a way that they can understand very often you start to see the penny drop let's say first of all that a lot of 
surveyors are basically salesmen. I mean, that's what they're there for. The companies aren't sending these guys around for free. And if they come back and they just say, oh, it's another case of condensation, we can't do anything about it, um, then obviously they're not going to be on that job for very long, are they? They've got to be people who are turning turning a shilling, if you like, and getting getting the results in. But the thing that annoys me is that we go from that situation to a situation where there is no such thing as rising damp. It's all a complete myth. For me, that's a problem because why are we bothering putting in damp-proof courses into buildings if there is no such thing as rising damp? Let's suppose we do have a situation, you've had a look at it, and you think it is rising damp. That would, to me, suggest there's no damp-proof course because I don't think damp-proof courses fail as such. If you've got a slow damp-proof course in, unless something dramatic happens like an earthquake, that is going to remain 95% effective, isn't it, throughout its life? Very effective. Am I right? Yeah, very effective. Yeah, yeah, super effective slate, yeah. So if somebody comes in and they've got slate damp-proof course in the house and somebody says, oh, you've got rising damp, your damp-proof course has failed and you need to have a load of chemicals injected, you say, no, hold back, because that is probably a misdiagnosis. But if they haven't got a damp-proof course and the guy comes in, and he says, you've got rising damp. Where do you go from there? Routinely, I would, I would look at every other option. Yes, it may well be that, that, that dampness is rising up through the ground in, in, into you know, the, 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 the fabric of the building, the substrate. Uh, it may well be that. Uh, and you always have to have that in mind. I think if you're very thorough uh, and you could read the building well uh, and you understand uh, how it's built, how, how moisture is uh, interacting with it. Very, very occasionally you come across a building that will totally stump you. I had one last year, late last year, and I really, really could not genuinely understand why the place was damp in one particular part of the of the building. We, we, we just did a belt and braces job, and so far, fingers crossed, it's been okay. But I'd say that they're few and far between. I think if you take a critical and sort of analytical look at the building, um, try and understand how it interacts with moisture or how moisture interacts with it, very often you'll, you'll, you'll come to the right, right solution. So we've got, we've got damp coming up through the wall. We've eliminated condensation. We've checked the ground levels outside. The ground levels are at least six inches below where we would think the damp-proof course would be, you know, just below floor level, inside floor level, if you like. So we, well, our ground's down. Our rainwater pipes aren't the problem uh, we haven't got a particularly exposed elevation, so we can eliminate penetrating damp in that case. Say it's a, an old nine-inch solid wall and it's, you know, Victorian, it's sand and lime construction. What would you then do then if, if you thought there was rising damp coming up through the wall? What would be your solution? If you got the problem internally uh, on a nine-inch solid wall, I think I would look at the external wall and I think in that instance if every other avenue you know we've been down that then I'd look at perhaps doing more traditional uh, approaches uh, maybe introduce a, a French drain maybe cut a gravel trough along that wall if it's a gable okay. wall or a front wall uh, probably would then look at installing uh, some kind of damp proof coating on the inside on the brick face following a, a salt retardant treatment I would I would try and do a salt retardant treatment yeah. as well because often it's, it's it's because of salts that we use during construction sometimes you know the building sand could have, you know could have come straight off of a beach but yeah it's things like that I would I would I would look at there's hydroscopic salts yeah yeah that are basically some of them are in the sand as you say some of them are in the brick 
Some of yep. them are in the ground, but yep. they are all drawn up by moisture. Is that right? They become soluble, uh, obviously, in, in the presence of, of water. Mm. Uh, that's, that's the problem. Uh, them being there, if if uh, they're in the the brickwork from the build stage, um, mm. and they they remain dry, that's that's not a problem. They can be there all the time. It's when they become moist that they become soluble, yeah. and they are able to then freely move through that substrate. Um, and it can be either way. It can you know often you'll see you know uh, old semis, uh, sort of wartime semis with you know the very familiar sort of white. Uh, on, on the outside of the brick at DPC level. Um, and then sometimes that's inside as well. And obviously when it's inside, it becomes a problem, uh, you know, as a, as a decorative finish. Um, it's the salt uh, that becomes, uh, when, when we say hygroscopic, it's, it's moisture attracting. It's just the same as a salt cellar on the kitchen side, you know, the way it attracts yeah, uh, moisture. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why they put the peas in the, in the salt on the, on the chippy counter. It oh, is just, that why they do that? I never, I never yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah, that's why they do that. It takes, takes the moisture away, the, the peas right. do apparently. So. Oh, blimey. So all you've got to do then really is drill a load of holes in your house and bang a load of peas in your way with it. And frozen peas, yeah. That's, uh, that's our <laughs> secret. I was, I was hoping you wouldn't hit on that, but there you are, exposed. <laughs> We've got salt, okay. We've got the salt yep. in the wall and you say they could have been there dormant for years and years and years and suddenly they're appearing and people get worried about them. They think all kinds of weird things. I've had, you know, emails from people saying, oh, this stuff's appeared on my wall. What is it? Is it dry rot? Is it this? Is it that? No, relax. Actually, you can taste it. I wouldn't say anybody. I can't recommend yeah. people taste it, but you're only it's very mild, very mildly salty. Yeah, I taste it all the time. Sometimes I get my customers to taste it as well. Yeah, that's why I hesitated to say that because I don't <laughs> want to recommend it, and then people do it. And drop dead. <laughs> no. but, but yeah, no. I always wipe my finger across that. Have a little taste. Yeah, that's the that's salt coming up. So so if that's pushing through the plaster, if it's pushing through, say we've got gypsum plaster in there, modern mm. plaster, and the salts are pushing through then that suggests that the damp is also getting through that plaster because it's the damp that's drawing the salts out and then the damp is evaporating and the salts are being left on the surface. It does happen by capillary action as well. Uh, the famous capillary action a lot of people talk about um, where, where you've got moisture and salt coming up through the, the, the brickwork. But I think equally it can, it can go from, from the atmospheric uh, dampness onto the wall evaporate and leave a leave a salty mark there as well and once you've got the salt there it, then it's a, a vicious cycle it, it can then attract its own moisture because it's salt and salt attracts moisture yeah so, yeah, that's right. yeah. Uh, and then when we get that i mean i've come to houses where you've got salt crystals coming out the, out the wall say under the stairs or in a pantry and it'll be that 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 long um mm, because yeah. it's it's been allowed to get like that you know over a period of time so if people have got salt the one thing they don't do or shouldn't do is to wash it off i tell people to knock it off with a with a brush yeah so it's brush, a dry it off. brush it but don't introduce yeah. water there don't no. introduce no, no. don't introduce bleach onto it either because no, no. bleach no, no. does the same thing doesn't it attracts they, moisture it's worse yeah it's yeah it you'll exacerbate the problem yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. you knock it off with a wire brush uh, or a stiff brush if it's if it's if it's uh, if you're able to with a, with a stiff yeah. brush just for the simple reason it, it attracts more moisture um, if mm. it's left there so get it swept yeah. away. It sounds to me, Mustin, talking to you that that you're very not I wouldn't say reluctant but it, it's almost like a last resort with you to 
do any kind of remedial damp proof course work. In other words, that's not your bread and butter. Is that right? I, it's changed a lot. It used to be that. Nowadays, what I'm seeing personally with, with my business is dampness in homes is, is changing. It's now more becoming more of a lifestyle problem frequently i go into houses you know i'll say to them well, what seems to be the problem then how can i help you know show me where where you've got a problem and uh, and you know we'll be walking past rooms that look like a chinese laundry <laughs> and, um, and i don't i usually wait until the end and i say well you know that that could help you if you didn't do that you know 14 bath towels on a radiator that, that would mm. be that would be good uh, quite a common uh, thread is where uh, I'll go along to a house and they'll say, well, we, we, we've lived here for um, for many years. Only this last 18 months, we've had a problem with dampness. And it's ever since we, we had all the house double glazed. Yeah, yeah. It's not a coincidence. So it's sort of like a little pointer to me. And that's where I start to start to look. Well, I think yeah. that's interesting because I think that what people don't, and I, I used to get this all the time. I did a a fix-it phoning in London for about 15 years, and it was a regular thing. They say, we've had the house double glazed because we wanted to stop the condensation, and mm. now the windows don't mist up, but we've got mould in the backs of the wardrobes. We've got mould appearing here, there, and everywhere. And I say, well, you haven't really stopped the condensation. You moved just it. moved it. You've moved yeah. it to somewhere else. The condensation is a, a sign that you've got too much moisture in the air. You need to remove the moisture from the air either by good extractor fans, yep. by maybe not putting your washing on the radiators, or maybe you just need to open the window slightly or get a dehumidifier or something like that. But what you really need to do is get rid of that moisture from the air and then it won't matter whether, you know, the, 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 as soon as you've got that double glazing, you've got, it's not just the double glazing. You've got the draft yeah. proofing, haven't you? So therefore, yeah. you cut down all the draft, you cut down all the ventilation, and you can feel the humidity in some of these houses when you walk in. They're warm, as and as it you feels walk like you've just dropped out of an airplane into the tropics. You think, blimey, yeah. they're living like this. They don't realise it because they live like it every day. They like it, but of course, you know. I, one thing I say to them, I don't know what you you say, but I, I mean, my thing is, you get a mirror. And you put that mirror in the fridge for five or 10 minutes and then you take it out and then you take it anywhere in the house and that mirror will immediately steam up. And you go, there's a clue. There's something you can do just very, very easily to see that there's too much moisture in the air. That's never occurred to me, but yeah, it's a good idea. That is, yeah. But you're right on, on what you say about, about the, the moisture. Um, as soon as you walk in, you can tell you can, it's almost palpable. Um, but people that live there with it, they don't, you know they're there with it all the time so they don't really notice yeah uh when my dad had a business uh we used to uh we used to install dry masters in norfolk a lot around the north yeah it's there since then i mean i mean we used to do one or two a month now the growth is almost exponential um everybody yeah i mean I, it, it, when you start getting emails and phone calls of people who know about about the product they understand about positive input ventilation i know that you do mm. roger mm. um you'll get a phone call with them requesting uh, that they have one as well. They've seen it on the internet or they've, they've watched a video and, uh, and that's the thing that, that that's going to solve their problems. And, you know, 99 times out of a hundred, that actually does work. There'll be a lot of people who don't know anything about dry masters or positive input ventilation. So, but just mm. give people a quick rundown of what 
that is that positive input ventilation you use a product called dry master which is a trade name isn't it it's a trade name that a company called new air use they actually did pioneer the whole concept back in the uh, the 70s positive input ventilation is counterintuitive it, it goes against sort of normal thinking when you think about getting moisture out of a house uh, we think normally about extractor fans uh, and, and things like that that are pulling air out of the, uh, uh, you know, obviously on, a, on an external wall, there'll be a fan mm. sucking air straight out. Uh, what a positive input ventilation system does is putting air into the house from an external source. Uh, so it's, it's pushing air in on a continuous basis. The reason they call them positive input is because in that process, it creates a very slight positive overpressure inside the house. But by that means it's forcing all the moisture-laden air out of the house through all the, the sort of natural leakage places. I mean, you know, in this house, this is a 1930s house, there are plenty of them. Uh, and in most houses, including modern houses as well, many, many natural leakage, you know, up chimneys, letterboxes, trickle vents, uh, floorboards, that sort of thing. And when it does that, water vapour in the air, it, it, can't, it can't get the foothold that it normally would. Um, yeah. So it's flushed away. Just to clarify, you, you're saying this is air coming in from an external source. That, that yeah. The new air unit, the dry master, is taking air in from an external source. A fan unit is installed inside the loft that attached to the fan are a couple of filters. They're, they're, they're very good filters. They filter down to a very, very small pollen-sized particle, so they're actually quite good for um, at, you know summer pollen sufferers the reason your loft is so freezing cold whenever you go up there particularly on a day like this is because it's outside air that's in there so they're not usually as well sealed against obviously air coming in as, the, as they are for rain obviously yeah. so you've got a lot usually a lot of natural leakage spaces inside the loft that's where they pull pull the air from so that then is filtered and it's pushed down the ducting. And just before it enters a house, there is a, an integral heater. That's on, on, on the model that, that I only fit. I only fit the version that has the heater element on there. How big is that heater? Because that would worry some people about the running costs. Costs, yeah. It's only about 400 watts, Roger. It's a 400 watt heating element in there. New Air always uh, tell me not to call it a heater, actually. It's, a, it's what they call an air tempering unit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I love it. It, 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 yeah, it doesn't actually provide a heating function. Uh, yeah. What it does is, if I mean, if you've got, if it's minus one outside, like it is now, you don't want minus one typically on your landing. Let's no, say no. that's normally where the where the diffuser is sighted. It takes that chill off of the air that's incoming. It's for comfort. I mean, if it was, it, 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 I don't think it actually makes an awful lot of difference to the effectiveness of the units. It does with with heat retention. I only do those those units. Be, because it's not really worth me bothering with the other ones because I might, you know, I might get somebody calling me back. Um, <laughs> You're going to fit this thing in. It's got a 400-watt heater in it, so it's just slightly warm in here. Now, would you leave that on 24-7 or what? Yeah, they're designed to be left on. Um, so they have, there's no on and off switch. I mean, they, they're typically wired in via a, a, a few spur. So there wouldn't be an on off switch either in the uh, the loft or, or anywhere else. If there's a power cut, it just resets itself back to how it was originally commissioned. What happens in the summertime and when it's cold, uh, it has uh, some onboard sensors. So it's actually a smart device, if you like. They have a, a sensor that can, can sense humidity. Uh, and temperature ah. and adjust and adjust the, the fans so in it, i remember this is on the, the newer version uh, i think they up, upgraded the version in about 2016 
uh, to incorporate these elements. And um, I remember the first time I fitted one, uh, I, I, you know, installed it, put the power to it and nothing came on. But it was in the summertime, it was about 25, 28 degrees in the loft. So I had to ring technical and he just laughed at me. He said, well, it won't turn on because it's above 22 degrees in the loft. And uh, it's, yeah. it's in sort of like sleep mode at the minute until the, the temperature comes down and it, the fan will kick back in again. But yeah, that's what happens with them. So summer's, summer's day, they're usually off because condensation can't form above, I think it's about 22 degrees. But usually on a night time, obviously we don't live in the tropics. Yeah. It'll come back, the temperature will go down and the unit will will kick back in again in the summer the air can hold a lot more moisture and then sometimes you've got external moisture you've got a humid day you've got a house which is a lot cooler and the the moisture is getting in there if you like and condensing on cold surfaces in the house because it's that bit colder you know i get it in my cellar for example in the summer the, the cellar is generally more damp than it is in the winter because you go down and you can pick up a piece of paper for example and you can feel it's very very slightly damp yeah. you know things are just so Cellars are that's a problem for me because if i put more air through the cellar i've got a massive fan in there i can draw air through but of course yeah. that's dragging in more moist air with it isn't it so it's kind of ah oh, it's, it's it's almost like a no-win situation isn't it Sometimes yeah i have seen systems for that particular application that have a, a dehumidification yeah. element in them i don't know what they cost to run uh i'm not really something i've not looked into but yeah i, I understand what you're saying yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so what? Fun. So what would you say about dehumidifiers in general? Then, because that's another uh, way that people can go. A lot of people have a dehumidifier they in their do. house. And I think they've improved. I think they have improved over the last sort of 30, 40 years. I remember when they were big and clunky and not very noisy, uh, mm. and would consume you know bucket loads of power. Mm. Um, but I think they've they've improved uh, certainly on the power consumption. Um, but I think there's still quite a noisy and uh, sometimes clunky uh, solution. People, uh, houses that I go into where they have them, they tend to be tucked out of the way, you know, stuck up in a loft. They have a function, you know, they, they do their job well. If you've got a good one, it will do uh, exactly what it says on the tin. I always tell people, just think about where you put it. Don't put it next to an open window. Don't put them near to, you know, to a, a shower room or something like that. You're going to take take moisture from the, the root of least resistance, I think. You're talking about positive uh, pressure, you know, mm. the import of, of the new air, the dry master and so on, introducing a positive pressure into the house. And of course, you're saying that that's leaking out through all those tiny little nooks and crannies, less so if you've got <coughs> good ceiling on double glazing and what we call an airtight house, if you like, nowadays. Yeah. But the other thing is, if you've got extractor fans, say in the bathroom or something, they need the same kind of through flow of air to work. Now, I go into bathrooms and, and you can tell, you can have the extractor fan on and then you open the door and you can hear the tone, the note of the extractor fan changing just slightly because suddenly yeah. it, it's not tucking against the vacuum. You're introducing a bit of air. And I do say to people, it's very important that you've got air coming in yeah. when you're pulling air out because that, those fans are not hugely powerful and they won't do much against the vacuum, will they? So you do need to keep thinking about the yeah. flow of air. Is that right? That's right. I had a customer, a similar scenario to what you're talking about, um, 
in terms of airflow, there wasn't any. He'd actually installed his own PIV unit. He's still getting black mould in the corners of the, the kitchen and uh, and sort of breakfast room that they'd had there. So I said, well, I better have a look up in the loft. Uh, he looked a competent guy, but you never know. He might have been, uh-huh. might have switched it around. It might be going backwards. When I got up in the side, the loft, the sarkin, you know, the underfelt, it, I think yes, it had been redone. Yeah. Obviously, it had, you know, had the tiles off at some point and they'd redone all this and, and new new timbers here and there. The roofing company that had done it would done it such a good job on it. They say it's breathable. Um, it probably comes down to... Uh, uh, what, what product you use, um, how much yeah. you pay for a particular material. Mm. This was so airtight inside there um, mm. that the unit itself couldn't breathe. And that's what I said to him. I said, well, really what you need to think about is installing some of those uh, edge of tile events, yeah. you know, a couple of dozen of those, then you're going to reap the benefits of, you know, what, mm. what you paid for. That was what, what I diagnosed quite simply. Yeah. Yeah. When did you go to this job? Uh, it was that? last week. Okay, so it's winter. You went there. What was the moisture like inside the loft? Well, the relative humidity in, inside the house and the loft was about 68, 69%. So there was no visible condensation in the underside of the membrane in the loft. So no, but he had got quite a well-sealed, quite a well-sealed loft, yeah. Uh, mm. The loft door itself was a very okay. good one. Yeah, um, it sounds to me as if that membrane was doing its job, basically, in the fact that it was letting moisture if there was any moisture in the loft it was letting what there was out i think one of the problems with that membrane is it wasn't allowing the volume of air in the the unit requires no i understand with the unit but what i'm just thinking about with the membranes because you do as you're right you're right saying you know you don't know what membrane it is because there are some very very cheap ones out there which claim to be breathable but are only just about breathable and then you get ones with multi-layers where they've got a wicking yeah. element in them they're a hundred quid a roll but they're much much better and then yeah. you get the other ones which are what they call air open which actually are they still those are the what am i right in thinking they're the ones that can allow both ways yeah exactly so so if the wind blows, you do actually get air coming in through the membrane, but incredibly, it doesn't let the rain in. If there was any rain coming out under the tiles or snow or anything like that, you don't get any of that. The airborne moisture, the steam, if you like, can go outwards. So right. those air open membranes are probably the best you can get. But as you say, mm. it's about keeping the moisture out of the loft in the first place so that it hasn't got too much of a job to do. But then, yeah. I, you know, because I've, I've been to Clover on, on their courses and so on, and then they would reckon that when you put that in, you seal all the joints, you tape the membrane down between where the, it overlaps, and yeah. everything is absolutely sealed airtight. Now, this is, mm. for me, a little bit of a difficult one because we're now talking about airtight buildings, and I mm. wonder whether we're in the middle of another experiment which have come back to bite us and people say oh that was that terrible time in the you know the, the early 20s when when we had airtight buildings and- it's obviously cutting down on the heat loss from a building but it does require people yeah. to keep trickle vents open and all kinds of and then people say well why go to all that trouble to make the thing airtight if you're going to open it up with trickle vents so i think with a new build i've seen exactly what you're talking about you know the air air tightness tests are being performed on on you know newly built houses and those houses themselves don't have any kind of air conditioning system i don't mean like a, a you know an ac i mean like heat recovery one heat recovery mvhr or whatever i get it if you're if you've got that system in place it seems a little bit pointless unless you've got that in place and 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 really what what a piv system does is is basically take take the role 
of a, of, a, of an MVHR uh, system. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of them like the next best standard. thing. Yeah. Uh, no, they don't have. have. No, they, they don't, don't have that. But they're just providing that that ventilation, obviously, that yeah. the house needs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you've got an airtight building that's that's so so tight that you know, like you say, when you put a fan on in the bathroom, and you open the door. I know that. Um, yeah. I've seen that before. Then. Mm. I think well, where's the moisture going to? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't believe that it can all all safely wick away in the modern lifestyles dictate. I mean, as soon as people buy the houses, they'll stick another bathroom in, or they'll yeah. put an extension on, or or um, you it know, is a good uh, point. <clears throat> yeah, it's, yeah. They add, add more moisture basically. It is a good point because when I was a kid, a long time ago, obviously now, but um, when I was a kid, it was like bath once a week, you know. And uh, mm. funnily enough, the first place I lived in in London, the, the tenements in London, we used to go to the bathhouse, the local baths, public baths, if you like, once a week on a Saturday morning with my dad and my brother, all in the same bath. <laughs> that was to save money. That was it. That was a once a week bath. And, and that was how people lived, wasn't it? So the amount yeah. of moisture that was generated in our house was, was mostly from boiling cabbage, I think. <laughs> I was watching a program about a family that <clears throat> live on a farm up in north yorkshire with uh, hundreds of kids and they're doing yeah. very nicely it's all very idyllic looking there's a big farmhouse table and everybody gathers there and they've got this roaring fire the fire's always on right above the fireplace of course they've got the the winched up oh yeah yeah um the clothes dryer jenny yeah, for the one yeah something genuine but that was okay yeah it yeah. was okay because yeah. all that all that that moisture would just get drawn with all the heat and flame and smoke and everything else straight up the chimney and out Mm, um, yeah. and and i often talk about that to people well they say well well why is it now that we're getting these problems with with moisture mm. so well you think about it you know in 1910 when the house was built you've got a parlor and a front room and there'd be a fire going in the parlor pretty much all the time yeah, be, yeah. You know, and that that would be your own piv basically for the house all the moisture would get dragged up there uh, we didn't have close-fitting, you know, wall-to-wall carpets. It was single-pane timber windows. Yeah. All these things add up, and uh, I think it's something you touched on uh, in a previous video. But yeah, it's uh, things have changed over the years, and what the PIV does is it, it brings all the ventilation up to date in one hit, maybe for 40, 50 years. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so they're not. I mean, I'm assuming if these are running 24/7, these units, mm. they're not that noisy or they're not noisy oh no they're very whisper quiet yeah people struggle to hear them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. because that's one of the problems you get with the mechanical ventilation heat recovery systems the noise of it nighttime you want to switch the whole thing off because you just can hear it you know when you're trying to get to sleep you find that you can hear any noise can't you you know and sure. once you yeah. hear it kind of you can't unhear it head. Yeah, so, but um, so these ones are quiet you wouldn't know yeah they're very very quiet yeah yeah very yeah. faint rush of rush of yeah. rush of air sound very so, faint so basically, you're specialising in these to some extent, are you? Well, it's become that, yeah. It's become yeah. we've become specialists. Uh, certainly in this region, I don't think there's anybody else that, that specialises in them uh, or yeah. knows as much about them. Um, there are up and down the country, obviously, a lot of people doing them, but uh, certainly in East Yorkshire here, there's not. We've had a little look at rising damp. I still haven't managed to winkle out of you what you would do in the case of rising damp. Rising damp, injection or cutting. A physical damp proof causing which is i love to do that if I can. yes yes you can do that if it's appropriate um yeah you can you can you can cut and insert um a, a physical barrier yeah uh, if if you're absolutely sure we tend to use um and there's 
passed by the BBA now as, a, as, as for, for use in lieu of a traditional damp-proof course is, is a tanking uh, slurry method. Um, oh, really? So, yeah, Sovereign Chemical do a... Do a they, they market and distribute a German um, uh, product called K11 and yeah. um, uh, fantastic properties on it. Um, absolutely fantastic. It is critical that you mix it correctly. It has to be the, you know, the correct consistency. Uh, and what I tend to do is if it's a, if it's a larger job, uh, we'll use a compressor and a blower with a, you know, with a, with a very large hopper on the top. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we yeah. The hopper and we blow it on. Um, yeah. And that's very effective. If it's, if it's below ground, two coats, if it's above ground, uh, if you use it in lieu of a DPC, um, then yeah, one coat, uh, sort of two to three mil thick, uh, and then you can plaster straight on top of it. You can, you know, you can put a render light coated on there, you know, a renovating plaster, or you can, yeah. you, can you can dot on top of it. Um, uh, very, very good. Very good. Uh, you know, you normally make it come down um, to, uh, and just over the wall floor junction. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and then seal around, obviously it's usually a block brush um, mm. and you, and you apply it that way. And it's, very, very effective, very effective actually, and I prefer to use, particularly on on um, older type buildings that have got say rubble walls or or cob or yeah, something like that. Yeah, you know, horrible. Yeah, yeah. And you, you can't drill and inject a DPC cream in no. there and expect to have you know very accurate uh, results. Um, so right. in that case, that is 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 the way forward. You know, you you, you apply it until you've got no no gaps at all. You yeah. can't see any of the brickwork or, or, or rubble. Um, as I say, that that sometimes it's it's best to blow it on um, for that. But once that's cured off after a, a couple of hours, it's super effective. Super yeah. effective. That, that's interesting. No, nothing will come through it. Nothing at all. Uh, no, it's interesting you talk about cob building, which for those who don't know is really just rubble filled walls. They've just used any old rubble. Anything in it. Bits of timber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was a very cheap and quick way of building, wasn't it? You render up the inside, render up the outside. But of so, course, if anybody's trying to put a damp-proof course into that, they're yeah. on a hiding to nothing because there's nowhere to go. But these injection damp-proof courses, or what I would say with the dry rods or the dry, dry rods, rods yeah. kind of thing, is basically you're looking for the mortar course. And what you're doing is you're putting chemical into the mortar course so that as the water comes up through the brick or through the mortar, it gets to that mortar course. That mortar course is damp resistant. Let's not say it's damp proof, but it's mm. damp resistant. So it slows the passage or reduces the passage of moisture yeah. from that point up. But of course, yeah. that does. That's why they happen. say one. I think they they say put the put the the rods or the cream at 150 mil centers. Yeah. You, so you so you on the put, that and then it spreads 75 mil each way. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And creates so, that barrier along. Yeah. Yeah. So every time you have got a vertical joint in the brickwork on that T, that's where you yeah. drill it. So one yeah. up, one down, one up, one down, and it's going right. to spread up and down. I mean, I've used it, and I, I do get loads and loads of people coming up and say, this is a cowboy method, and I fully accept that the video we did where we used it, we didn't go through all those other things because all I was trying to do is say, look, if you've got rising damp, you can do this. This is a way of, of reducing it. I won't say 100% cure but it is a way of reducing it. But of course, then people took that to mean that you can do that in every situation and that it cures all these other things. So talking to you has given it a lot more balance. You, you do, do you use that 
chemical injection method or any of those? Yeah, rods? yes, yeah. We have the we have the cream. I've I've tried the rods, but for me, they just seem seem to be. Maybe I just live in the wrong part of the country, but they seem a little bit expensive. Um, yeah, no, no. I think they are. I think uh, they I think are. They're quite pricey. The rods. I know they're effective. Um, yeah, uh, I know Safeguard as a company quite well. Um, yeah, and uh, they they what they tell me, I, I I have no reason to disbelieve. You know that they say that there's actually. Uh, a lot, lot more of the active ingredient inside the dry rods than there is in the cream. The cream is just yeah. the carrier. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm told. But uh, I had a trial pack given to me, obviously. Um, you know, yeah. the reps passed them on, but uh, the price for me. So the cream does, this, you know, very same job. Um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, we do do use it from time to time. If, if, if it, the situation um, permits, if that's, if that's the best scenario uh if that's the best method for that scenario then that's what we, we would use yeah 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 now i know what you're saying about the rods I, I mean you know let's let's be honest if you look at the the dry zone if you look at the storm dry cream as well to put Fantastic on product yeah penet- you, you do like that do you because yeah, again you oh, only ever used it once i've only ever found uh a sort of a windswept farmhouse outskirts of york um yeah. out on a hill Almost. Um, yeah. Luckily, when I was there, it was raining because they said to me on the phone, "When it rains here, it rains sideways." Yeah. Uh, yeah. The gable wall from top to bottom, first floor. In fact, attic, first floor, ground floor, soaking wet. Uh, one yeah. wall, and it was the wall where the rain drives against, literally almost yeah. the horizontal level. Um, yeah. So we uh, we applied the the dry uh, storm dry. Um, onto that gable end and literally overnight yeah um, one coat one, one coat, coat with, one good with a coat roller with a roller, with a roller and yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was it was cured the problem yeah. was solved yeah i've done it on many occasions it's a, good, it's a good product people say to me that is really expensive that is and i say yeah it does cost more than scotch whiskey it's certainly <laughs> more than scotch whiskey so buy a bottle of scotch whiskey and then you won't worry about the damp, will you? You know, you just, you know, you, you've got to look at it. And worry say, about anything. I say the most expensive part of this process is having me come along and do the job. So yeah. if you're going to use a lesser product, Thompson's, Thompson's water seal, but silicon-based products are okay. Yeah, they do same the job. Thing, yeah. um, some people say that. I, I think it's because the storm dries. Um, I think it's got a breathability element yeah, to it. It has. This is the thing. Um, I think. I think to be fair, so has Thompson's water still, but not as okay. much. And okay. I think that, that I've never had any trouble with the storm dry. I've put it on, and uh, job I did fifteen years ago. Um, yeah. it, it's been fine ever since. Interestingly, what was happening there is they were getting the the electrics was popping out when the rain came, and I noticed mm. it was actually water that was getting into the wall, into the back of the socket, and just popping the RCD. So yeah. I said, well, you got penetrating damp in that wall, gave it mm. one coat of storm dry, never had another problem from the RCD. 15 years, and they've never phoned me up to say, oh, that thing's happening again. And yeah, it, 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 does, it is expensive. It's expensive to, 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 to be uh, recommending for, for use everywhere. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. when you use it, and you use it in the right way, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's formidable. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it, whenever you're talking about, I'm not, you know, I do sound like I'm a salesman for dry zone here, actually. I've got to say this, but, but when I, when I look at people, what they spend their money on and what they choose to call expensive and what they don't, and you say, okay, so 
But, you know, bloke down the road would be a classic. It's got a beautiful house, had every single thing done to it except a new roof. Yeah. And he just doesn't want to spend money on a new roof. So every so often somebody comes up there, replaces a few tiles and so on, and he carries on. But you think you've got a lovely house in there, and the one thing you need is a good roof on top of it to protect it. And yet he's willing to put up with, oh, we've got a damp patch on the ceiling again. And you just think this is what people are doing, isn't it? His wife will yeah. go out and spend 300 quid on a pair of shoes. Sometimes you, you can spend too much time trying to, trying to understand how certain people think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I've come across similar scenarios where that's weird. You, you know, you've got a, a Bentley on the drive. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> something like yeah. that, you know. Yeah, uh, it is. I yeah, mean, I know what you mean. People are different. They spend their money on what they like. But when they say to me, oh, it's too expensive, we're not going to do it. And then they're off on a skiing holiday the following week. I think, well, you've just got different priorities and that's fine. People do. do. I had, to, I had yeah. to scratch my head uh, a fortnight ago. I got called to a a certain house. Um, I'm not even going to say what part of town it was in. Well, the phone call conversation went along the lines of, oh, we've got a, you know, we've got a patch of, of dampness in our, in our back on the ground floor. Right, okay. I'll come and have a look. Got there. To say the house was filthy was, yeah. was an un understatement. Just just shabby. Uh, not, not because the house was bad, but just the occupants were, were just filthy. And there was a, a patch of damp on, on the kitchen wall next to the back door about the size of my hand and that was his that was enough that was causing him enough concern yeah yeah um to call me to come over to make remedy for that um mm. and it, he couldn't obviously see the you know the 14 the plates on the floor with food yeah. overflowing on them mm -hmm. that's two weeks yeah. old and uh dirty yeah. dirty laundry all over the shop and uh couldn't couldn't see all that and the smell right well i think we covered some ground there haven't we really yeah. And um, the condensation, good luck with the uh, with the new air units. Hey, yeah, you? they seem to be, as I say, they seem to be the, 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 the thing at the minute. Uh, whether or not that will be the case in 10 years from now, I don't know. Uh, I tend to think so because of the, the recent uh, um, uh, uh, initiatives that have been inaugurated by Rishi Sunak with the Green Deal. It's all about yeah. insulation. It's all about insulation. There's not, not one yeah. thing about ventilation on that. that uh, no. That piece of uh, policy there, but um, you know, uh, I expect to be busier. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, again, we go back to one of my rants about governments. When governments get involved in these things and they come up with all these grants and all these solutions and the Green Deal and all the rest of it, and you yeah. just look at it, oh my goodness, you know, it, it's it's rarely worth having. It's so cumbersome to actually qualify for them and they say okay so you need a bit of loft insulation so that you've got to have all your windows double glazed and you've got to have this done and that done. so you thought i was going to spend 500 quid on some loft insulation now you're going to spend five thousand quid and you know i'll I just yeah. it's all too cumbersome it really is it's very cumbersome yeah, yeah. just put on another jumper for goodness <laughs> sake <laughs> anyway nice to talk to you and uh and you. hopefully we'll um talk again sometime yeah if you've got right, any interesting you jobs, by the way, if you get anything interesting that you want to send us that you think is worthy of, of you know, the viewers seeing, then uh, we'd be very interested in your little videos or whatever right. you've got there, photographs okay. or whatever, yeah? Uh, yeah, Just, very yeah. regularly get that kind of thing, yeah, at least yeah. once, twice a month, so yeah. I'll, okay, I'll brilliant. And we're going to put a link, we're going to put a link to your website here. People can look at that unit and see the video of that new air unit working, the Dry Master, is it? Yeah? Okay, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, nice Great to stuff. see you. Thanks a lot, Austin. Right, Thank you, everyone. Good work now, mate. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Thanks.